The reading this morning is from John 3, um, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I thought I should probably start by introducing myself just a little bit, since I haven't been coming here long enough to know many of you very well, and I hope that changes this year. As Dave said, my name's Brian. My wife, Katrina, and I moved up from Chicago about eight months ago. We have two kids. Brenna is seven, and Kel is three. Katrina is a nurse practitioner, and I am a seminary-trained stay-at-home parent. Practically, what this means is that my Greek is really rusty now, but I am much more conversant in Paw Patrol and My Little Pony. I'm a big fan of Pinkie Pie. Uh, I did my Master of Divinity at North Park Seminary in Chicago, which is a seminary affiliated with the Evangelical Covenant Church. And I served for a while as a chaplain at a jail outside of the city of Chicago before leaving to stay home with Brenna. We now live over near Nokomis, and we are big fans of our new home city. Um, Let's start by praying with one another. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be worthy and pleasing to you. Amen. Our passage today begins in the dark. It begins with Nicodemus quietly going to Jesus at night for a conversation. And I don't know about you, but the setting of the passage feels appropriate for us in our current season. More important than these short, dark January days, 
is the fact that the last year and a half or two years has been stressful and difficult for many people. The days seem to be filled with dark words and dark deeds, not simply because of political instability or partisan politics, although that is most likely a, a big piece of all of our recent experience. It's a darkness that goes deeper than that. It's a darkness that is always there, but perhaps being manifest in a more aggressive way than we are used to experiencing. In one of his sermons, Frederick Buechner put the word, put words to the darkness this way. If darkness is meant to suggest a world where no one can see very well, either themselves or each other, or where they are heading, or even where they are standing at the moment, if darkness is meant to convey a sense of uncertainty, of being lost, of being afraid, if darkness suggests conflict, conflict between races, between nations, between individuals, all pretty much out for themselves when you come right down to it, then we live in a world that knows much about darkness. Darkness is what our newspapers are about. Darkness is what most of our best literature is about. Darkness fills the skies of our own cities no less than the cities of our enemies. And in our single lives, we know much about darkness too. If we are a people who pray, darkness is apt to be a lot of what our prayers are about. If we are a people who do not pray, it is apt to be darkness in one form or another that has stopped our mouths. This kind of darkness is something we are all familiar with at some level, something we can relate to in one way or another. But of course, darkness is not all we know. We are in the liturgical season of epiphany, a time when we study and celebrate that God has been made manifest, that God is made known in the person of Jesus. And we come to worship in order to hear once again that the word was life, and that life was the light of the world. So in the midst of the ongoing darkness of the world, we welcome a season where we celebrate the light being made known to us. And each week we come again to worship in the hopes that through music and prayer and preaching and feasting at this table, we will be challenged and encouraged to live in such a way that we reflect that light. The only problem, at least according to John, is that the light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light. And why do people love the darkness? Why do we find ourselves in this darkness, either now or in certain seasons of our life. Perhaps it is, as Beekner says, that the darkness is so prevalent that it has stopped our prayers. Or maybe it's our apathy or our brokenness or fear of being exposed for who we are, for what we've done, for our lies, our greed, our prejudiced thoughts and action. Or maybe the status quo simply appears to be easier. Father Greg Boyle is a Jesuit priest in L.A., and some of you may have heard of him. He founded uh, an organization called Homeboy Industries, which is probably one of the most successful organizations in the world at dealing with the problem of gang violence. They offer education and therapy and job training and tattoo removal and substance abuse rehab, and in general, the hope of an alternative to gang life. He has said that gang violence is about a lethal absence of hope. They are attempting to be a light in the darkness. In his book, uh, Tattoos on the Heart, he says that the work they do is slow work. 
And he tells a story about Pedro, who he says, was a greatly troubled kid, filled with a measured rage and resentment, submerged first beneath heavy drinking and then crack cocaine. Pedro, among the gentlest and kind-hearted of homies, disappeared eventually into his own netherworld of substance abuse. He was seemingly oblivious that he had left us at all. Daily, I would see him and offer rehab, and he gently declined with a sweetness that never grew defensive. Oh, thanks, G, but I'm okay. Darkness as the absence of hope, and without hope, without a light, without the notion that life can be better, nothing changes for individuals or communities. Darkness is the problem. People loved the darkness instead of the light. And in our scripture today, we hear again the familiar story of Nicodemus. As I said before, he came to talk to Jesus at night. He was a Pharisee with reputation and status within the Jewish community. We can only guess at his motivation for visiting Jesus, professional interest perhaps, to gather information for the Pharisees maybe. Was it more of a person? Maybe it was more of a personal uh, quest. Maybe he remained unconvinced of his own understanding of God. Whatever his question, Nicodemus never actually gets to ask Jesus because Jesus does not allow Nicodemus to guide that conversation. Jesus skips the pleasantries and launches into an effort to tell him about the true nature of God and God's work. We hear that in order to see the kingdom, Nicodemus needs to be born again. This is a familiar phrase to many of us, although perhaps in recent years it's fallen out of favor among some Christians. I tend to personally cringe a little bit when I hear it, not because I'm ashamed of its meaning, but more often because of the context of its use. Embarrassing billboards and street evangelists yelling about people needing to be born again or they will go to hell do not exactly make the case in the same way that Jesus does for Nicodemus. But I digress. Uh, As is typical for John, the language here has a dual meaning. The phrase can be translated as being born again or being born from above. Another translation of this verse I read is, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he or she is reborn from above. The kingdom of God, God's reign, God's rule in action cannot be seen by anyone unless that person has been made changed, made anew, reborn from above. We do not walk into God's kingdom on our own strength. Given that Nicodemus had not yet even asked a question, it was not an answer he could anticipate. He seems to take the words of Jesus literally, as if he were going to reenact the ancient precursor to the movie Benjamin Button and shrink down to infant size. Surprised some of you got that. (laughs) So Jesus tries again. We hear that to enter the kingdom, one must be born of water and spirit. And there are several ways to understand what John might mean by water here. Could be the waters of physical birth. Could be baptism. It could be an act of purification. And we might discuss the meanings of water at length. But what seems important to Jesus is to highlight that we are now flesh, physically born in this world, unable to see or enter the kingdom of God. And in order to enter, we must be reborn, remade by the Spirit. Jesus is emphasizing that this is not an action we accomplish on our own. 
Nicodemus is still confused. And Jesus tells him, if you can't understand what I've taught you so far, how can I teach you the full truth? The things of God. And Jesus claims the authority to speak on this by virtue that he has in fact come down from heaven. It is in the Son of Man that heaven and earth are brought close, he says. And it is in the lifting up of the Son of Man that eternal life is made available to all creation. The word here can mean lift up or it can mean exalt. In those days, to be lifted up on the cross was the most humiliating of deaths. It was not something to be celebrated or exalted. Yet in the moment of humiliating death, Christ's glory is what those with eyes to see witness. In the moment of utter darkness, there is light. Heaven and earth collide in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is perhaps the most well-known verse for a reason, not simply because of billboards or Tim Tebow's eye black. It was called, it's been called the gospel in a nutshell. If you were going to pick one verse from the Bible to sum up the Christian faith, you would be hard-pressed to find a more, one that's more succinct. It points to God's character of love, shares God's salvific action, and underscores God's desire that all of creation experience life that only God can provide. The offer of grace and forgiveness and life from God through Jesus is realized with our belief, with our acceptance of this gift. From the very beginning, the purpose of this death was the gift of life. As John tells us, or as Jesus tells us in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The whole passage is full of familiar words, comforting words. We've heard these verses so often in our lives that many, and many or most of us have experienced this light, this life made new in Christ. Perhaps it is for this reason that this text can feel maybe a little too familiar. One of the challenges, if you've been around the church for a long time, is how do you allow the familiar story of Christ to work in you again. Of course, it's essential to study and discuss and pray about the message and guidance in the Bible. But when John 3.16 is on the bottom of an in-and-out cup, maybe we have reduced the message too much. The wonder and mystery of God's love is too big to be reduced to a size 6 font. God's love is alive and moving As Jesus tells Nicodemus, the work of the Spirit is like the wind, moving in unpredictable ways in our world. You may see the effect of the wind, but you cannot see where it's come from or where it might go next. We bear witness to God's saving love in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We may do our best to understand and describe God's love, but at the end of the day, we must acknowledge the boundaries of our understanding and marvel at the immense claim that, as it's translated in the message, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. There's a a wonderful moment in Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow, where the titular character is talking about his own failing understanding of God's love and what it means for him to love the people around him. Jaber says, For love is always more than a little strange here. It is not explainable 
or even justifiable. It is itself the justifier. We do not make it. If it did not happen to us, we could not imagine it. It includes the world and time as a pregnant woman includes her child whose wrongs she will suffer and forgive. It is in the world, but not altogether of it. It is of eternity. Love is always more than a little strange here. And if you take a step back from the familiarity of the text, the only word to describe Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus might be strange. It is otherworldly. And that is the point, that God's love is not of this world, but breaks into every corner of this beautiful yet broken creation. We often turn this vision of new life into a bumper sticker rather than seeing it as the wild, unpredictable wind of the Spirit, rather than a bright light breaking into the thick darkness that we often wander in. It is a love so massive that it didn't happen to us. We could not imagine it. That is the claim at the heart of the gospel, that God's love embodied in Jesus in order to save creation, in order to restore a broken relationship with this world. Jesus saves to bring us life, a life that has eternal implications, but also a life that begins right now. Our belief in who Jesus was and is and will continue to be saves us from condemnation, not simply in some future, but in the present. It's a life that begins right now. And the judgment we see in this text is not the main point, but rather the byproduct of our acceptance or dismissal of God's love and action. Choosing the darkness is an act of self-condemnation. And some wish to use condemnation as a weapon to scare people into belief in Christ. It would be easy, for example, to simply condemn Nicodemus based on what we know from this text. If this was all we knew of Nicodemus, we might think he was simply a rather dense Pharisee. He could not see this new thing that was happening with Jesus. He was perhaps clinging to the dark. But the wind blows where it wants, and we find Nicodemus in John 7 hesitantly standing up to his fellow Pharisees who want to punish Jesus without so much as a hearing. More striking is the fact that in John 19 we find Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea, preparing the body of Jesus for burial. Who knows exactly what Nicodemus believed then, but reverently burying the body of a crucified criminal does not seem to be the action of someone who simply dismissed Jesus. Sometimes the work of Christ is fast, happening in the span of a conversation, such as Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Other times, like in Nicodemus' case, It seems to be slow work. Father Boyle never stopped his own slow work of asking Pedro about rehab. And one day, Pedro finally said yes. And while he was in rehab, uh, Pedro's brother committed suicide. So Father Boyle picked Pedro up from rehab to take him to the funeral. On the way, Pedro tells him about a dream he had, the kind of conversation we all love to have. But Father Boyle tells the story this way. He says, In this dream, Pedro and I are in a large, empty room, just the two of us. There is no light, but he seems to know that I am there with him. I retrieve a flashlight from my pocket and push it on, and I find the light switch in the room. 
and I shine this narrow beam of light on the switch. I don't speak. Pedro says that even though no words are exchanged, he knows that he's the only one that can turn this light switch on. He makes his way to the switch with, I suppose, some trepidation. He arrives at the switch, takes a deep breath, and flips it on. The room is flooded with light. In the car, he is now sobbing, and with a voice of astonishing discovery, he says, and the light is better than the darkness. Then he says, I guess my brother just never found the light switch. Father Boyle continues by saying, possessing flashlights and occasionally knowing where to aim them has to be enough for us. Fortunately, none of us can save anybody, but we all find ourselves in this dark windowless room, fumbling for grace and flashlights. You aim the light this time, I'll do it to the next. The slow work of God. And you hope and you wait for the light. This astonishing light. The light is better than the darkness. John says the people hate the light because they do evil. And it's true. Nobody wants the wrong they do to be exposed for all to see. It's never fun having your sin exposed. Sometimes we have a hard time giving up the darkness. And maybe sometimes we just don't fully understand or believe that the light is better. Or even if we know that things need to change, we can't figure out where to start. And while we wish it were easy to just believe and move into the light, it's not always a straight line. I can't help but hear the man in Mark 9 who says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. We are all on a journey when we follow Christ, not made instantly perfect. We are called to life, but we live in this world where there is darkness. And the temptation is still there, and we will still fail. There's a reason we confess together during worship. As one prayer goes, forgive us for what we have done, and forgive us for what we have left undone. We might as well pray, forgive us for returning to the darkness. We pray as a community that we can believe and experience the light and that we can be light for each other, for our city, for our schools, for our neighbors. So where is the darkness in your own life that this community can bring a flashlight to? Where is the darkness in your corner of the world that you can shine a light on? Can you give some gift of money, of time, experience that brings life to someone or some community? Can you stand up to prejudice, either your own or when you witness it? Can you swallow the easy insult and find words that bring life instead? Can you call elected representatives to ask for policies and budgets that affirm life and dignity for all people? Can you sit with a friend or even a stranger who is suffering? Can you forgive someone who has wronged you and seek forgiveness for your own failure? Can we pray again together? Can you share your faith and word and deed? Can we be a people that love in such a way that the wonder and oddity of it seems a little strange here, out of place for the broken and cynical world we inhabit? Can we help each other believe again and again every day 
and God's outrageous love. The challenge for us today is to believe this good news. Believe that God loved this world and sent a son to bring us life. God sent Jesus to bring light into a dark place. And may we come to know as individuals, as a community, that the light is better than the darkness. May we experience this light in our lives as it brings us out of whatever dark places we find ourselves. May we reflect this light in our lives, shining our flashlight for those who need it. May we aim to tell God's holy story through our own imperfect story, bearing witness as only imperfect people can to the love and life of Christ. May we love this world that God created, seeking the peace and flourishing and life of all its people. Amen.